0: Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting, and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Prudy. In today's episode, we're back to an old favourite, IFRS 15, well, not so old, a couple of years, and we're going to be talking about overtime revenue contracts, which when I first started talking about this, I called it long-term contracts, which a thing of the past and to help me with that and explain to me why it's a thing of the past is the lovely Katie Woods welcome back Katie oh hi Ruth thank you so much
1: lovely to be back and something I love talking about IFRS 15 couldn't be better
0: your favorite and Mm. Katie we've not done a podcast for a long time I think like maybe back to like we're almost on episode 100 and I think we were back at like episode 10 or something on share-based payments you need to come and see me more often Well, waiting for the invite, Ruth. Waiting for the invite. (laughs) (laughs) It's all my fault. Okay, so, like I said in the intro, I sort of always talk about long term contracts, but that isn't a term in our first 15,
1: so I need to get with a program. Like, what what are they now? They're not long term. Yeah, and you're right. And I think a lot of us still do think of these as long term contracts because it's a contract over a longer term. And mm-hmm. certainly it was an area dealt with before IFRS 15 came out in IS 11. But IS 11 has gone, as you said, and 15 has been around for a little while now. And so there is a single standard being IFRS 15 that looks about the treatment of revenue contracts either at a point in time or overtime. And I think it's the overtime ones that you want to talk about, those that take longer and used to be referred to as long-term contracts. And what are some examples like, of the industries we see these in? Mm. Well, many industries. So, the most obvious, I guess, is something like construction. So, whether it's housing construction or, or a big, I don't know, a big oil plant or something, you're constructing, from the constructor's perspective, you are constructing a a big asset for a particular customer. But there can be other industries like aerospace where they're producing larger projects like an airplane again over a longer period of time. So um, you can find it in all sorts of I guess the services industry is the other one as well, where you've got perhaps people providing a people service to customers again over a longer period. So you can find them everywhere, but there is a need to identify them from the point in time to the overtime type contracts. Perfect. So to help us, what's the criteria? How do I decide what's overtime? Well, luckily, IFRS fifteen gives us three different criteria. For those who really love to do paragraph spotting, it's it's para thirty five. But it, what it does is to identify three different areas where, if the criteria are satisfied, so they're ors rather than ands. If the, one of those is satisfied, then you treat it as an overtime contract. So the first one is that the customer simultaneously receives and consumes the benefits provided by the entity's performance as the entity performs so that's something like perhaps a cleaning service or someone painting your house you're getting the benefit of that as it as time goes on the second one is that the entity's performance creates or enhances an asset that the customer controls as the asset is created so perhaps if i wanted a palatial villa built for me yes please Yes, exactly. (laughs) On my land. Then I would be looking at treating that as over time because it's on my land and it's being built for me. So I'm getting the benefit of the walls, perhaps the swimming pool or the the lovely big veranda overlooking the sea. Uh, Sorry, I'm getting... Carried away with myself, but you're building a <laughs> day. <laughs> yeah, thanks. On my land. So, so the customer is receiving the benefit as as the, as the asset is created. And then the final one is that the entity's performance doesn't create an asset with an alternative use to the entity, and the entity has an enforceable right to payment for the performance. So it's not an asset that can be sold elsewhere. And over the time it's being built the entity can say, right, I I have the right to a certain amount of money over the period of time. So, those are the three distinct criteria, either one of those three that would identify a longer term contract.
0: Okay. So, that helps us work out if we're in this bucket over time and we need one of those factors. What's the actual accounting for an overtime contract?
1: So, IFRS 15 is all about control and it's control of a performance obligation. So when you've got an overtime contract, you've got to look at how the good or service or when, sorry, control of the good or service is transferred to the customer over that period of time. And that, that's how you would account for it. It will be over the period of time that control is transferred. Brilliant. And then obviously,
0: because it's over an accounting period and you're going to have an amount of revenue, you've got to measure how much revenue you can have. and there's obviously different methods, if I can get Mm -hmm. my words out, methods of measuring progress. What does the standard say about that?
1: So you're absolutely right. You've got to work out how you measure that progress. The most simple thing would be to say straight line over time. But let's go back to, to the principle of transfer of control. That may not happen just directly over time. And so you need to look at Input, which means perhaps the expenses or costs by the company that's building or producing on the contract, those input costs to the contract and say, well, I've got 10% through my costs, therefore I'm 10% the way through, irrespective of the time period that would be one method. Another method is an output method. So, you look at what has been delivered to the customer. So, has the customer received part of the swimming pool wall we were talking about or part of the painted wall if they were painting your house for you? I'm very focused on houses here, but it's looking at what has been output to the customer. Brilliant. So,
0: that's like working out your measure of Progress and that sounds like
1: there's probably lots of judgments there. What yeah. sorts of judgments could there be? Yeah, there are there are a number of judgments. You're right, and I think the first one that I'd look at is perhaps if you're using input methods, you were saying my expenses that I'm I'm incurring to deliver this particular good or service, but I as the the provider of the good or service incur some inefficiencies. Now those inefficiencies you've got to determine. Are they as a consequence of inputs and actually I should include those as part of my measurement of progress or actually are they inefficiencies on my part and shouldn't be used as part of measuring progress? So there's a bit of a judgment there, but there are other judgments as well outside of those particular inputs or outputs, maybe thinking about from the output perspective, how far have I got? So you might have a survey done by an external party. So there's a judgment or or a need for evidence to to show how far you've got over this time of the contract. And then there's an area which happens in many longer term or overtime contracts, certainly in the building industry, which are modifications, might be called a variation or, or a change order, where there are constantly, as the service or good is provided there are changes that are agreed between the two parties and it's determining how I apply those particular judgments as well. So that's
0: definitely something I've seen where it's a bit tricky in the, I'd say the accounting is quite challenging, is around this concept of like a modification or a variation. Could you expand
1: on that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. So a modification is, quotes defined as where there has been a change to the contractual terms. And the way in which the modification is applied will depend on the nature of the modification. And so you've got to really look at what has been agreed to. And the agreement can be can be normal in the contract. It doesn't necessarily have to be a signed agreement. It can be implied. It could be verbal. But as soon as you see that there has been an agreed change to the contract, you then need to look at, at what, what's actually going on you've got to determine, first of all, if there are distinct goods or services that are going to be provided over and above those that agreed in the original contract. And there are two different elements of those. The first is, if those distinct goods or services are going to be basically at the standalone selling price, and I I think we've talked about standalone selling prices in previous podcasts, so I won't go back over that. But if they're at the normal selling price for the product, or perhaps at a little discount because you're getting the benefit of them along with the original contract, that would be treated as a separate contract in its own right. If, however, the distinct goods and services are not at that standalone selling price. So they're kind of linked with what you are originally agreed to in your contract. Then what you'd have to do is cancel the original contract and if in effect start a new contract, taking into consideration the remaining goods and services that you've got in the old contract and the new goods and services that you've agreed to provide. And look at the way in which that pricing works. So I just said that they didn't have, they weren't priced at the standard, normal, standalone selling price. So you'd have to look at how much you've got left in your original contract and then how much more you've got on the new contract and work out how you would allocate that between the current and future goods and services. So that's where you've got a distinct good or service being agreed as part of the modification. Then The the second situation is where you've got to change or an update to your current good or service, your current performance obligation, where it's not a distinct good or service. And in that case, you're going to have to look at how that impacts your revenue at the date of the modification, up or down, and then true up your revenue and sort of then work forward from that point of the data modification. Now, I've waffled on for ages about that. Does that make sense, Ruth? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm showing my lack
0: of brain power here. It might be too late in the day. I think oh. I get it. But mm. so, can we do an example? So, I've got like a house, mm-hmm. and they agreed to construct a house, and now mm-hmm. I've got a swimming pool that was never in the original contract.
1: Mm. So, that would be separate performance okay. obligation. It's a yeah. distinct good or service. It's nothing to do with the rest of the house build. I've just put on my own terms and conditions here. So in that case, that would be a separate contract on the assumption that it is sold at the standalone selling price of a swimming pool. Yeah. If, however, the swimming pool was a huge discount because I you already have a contract with me, then I would say, well we'll have to look at the contract as a whole for that swimming pool so what i got left to do in building your house and the provision of the swimming pool cancel the old contract start a new contract and allocate the remaining revenue on the old contract and the new revenue over what's left to do on the original contract and to the swimming pool does that make sense
0: it does thank you i always need an example and as you were in the house theme I decided yeah. we'd stay in the house theme. Love it. You know, my <laughs> shed that I could probably fit in my back garden uh, would be constructed. <laughs> I'm just dreaming. I'm not sure I can fit the pool in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, really helpful. Thank you. I'm jumping around a little bit mm. here, but we, we talked about measure of process and the fact you need to look at inputs or outputs, and there's a bit of judgment there. What if you don't, you're like, I don't know,
1: quite early on and you actually don't know your measure of progress yet? Mm. And that's a that's a really good question, actually, Ruth, because within the standard, there's actually a provision that says, if you've entered into a contract, but and you know that you're going to cover your costs on the contract, but you haven't yet determined what that what the measure of progress is. you're you're not comfortable, as you say, with what that is. Then the standard actually says that, up until the time where you are, are reasonably sure about what your performance obligation measure would be, you can actually recognize revenue to the amount of costs you've incurred. So rather than saying, okay, I've I've incurred 10% of my costs, so I'll recognize 10% of my revenue, you'll say, okay, I've I've incurred 10 pounds of my costs. So in order, I know it's going to be profitable this contract, I'll recognize £10 of my revenue. So you're actually just matching. You're not having any profits that are included. I've just realised I've referred to matching, which is awful because that's a very old accounting concept. But you're actually just linking the two until you can measure the contract as a whole.
0: Well, I referred to long-term contracts. Maybe, maybe we're both living in the past, with <laughs> maybe holding on to our S eleven and the, back at the old days, the good old exactly. days, all these crazy <laughs> new standards came in. Yeah. Brilliant. Anything else people need to think about or watch out for over time revenue contracts and I fifteen. Well,
1: done. <laughs> um, not not really. I think um, one other area is looking at variable considerations. So. When we were talking talking about modifications, one of the examples I gave were were claims variations. Now, if an entity enters into a contract with a customer and says, look, during the end or towards the end, there will be a claim process where depending on when it's completion date or something like that, you'll be able to claim a 10% discount or we might claim a 10% more revenue as a consequence. And that claim agreement would actually be deemed to be part of variable consideration because it's all part of the contract when it was first entered into. So, provided, and you probably remember variable consideration, or maybe not, but it's when it's highly probable that there wouldn't be significant reversal when the uncertainty was resolved, you would take that into account when you're first allocating your revenue to your different elements, your different performance obligations of the contract. If, however, you're partway through your contract and saying, oh, we've got a claim or we've got a variation, so it's not part of the original contract terms, that then would be treated as a modification. So you wouldn't take it into consideration at the beginning and look at it as a variable consideration, but you'd account for it as a modification that we that we just talked about and only account for it at the date of the modification. So, You just need to think about when you've got a variation or a claim or something similar in that overtime contract. When do I start taking it into account in in the revenue in, in the revenue transaction?
0: Okay, so key things to look out for, if you've got some sort of change, something changes, mm. and there might be some extra money involved, you need to be careful of the accounting. Yeah, yeah, whether it's need at the beginning casing. or the one.
1: <laughs> or one of my oh. revenue friends. <laughs>
0: don't worry, we don't give out your phone number as part of this. And I'm going to start texting you I press 15 questions. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming back and talking me through that. I know it's often an area of particular judgment. So thank you very much. Please come back a bit sooner this time. I'm sure we can find other R 15 things to talk about. With um, good. Well, it's been lovely having you. I'm sure there's lots more information on pdbc.com and inform. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by Price Wardhouse Cooper's LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a
1: substitute for consultation with professional advisors.